sermon today. So get ready to answer this community time question. Uh, this one I actually find very interesting because people are very different when it comes to this question. And the question is, what type of book reader are you? Okay, what type of book reader are you? Are you the person who will read a read every word of a book that you start? Are you an A read every book every word of a, of a book that you start? B you may or may not finish a book that you start. Are you someone who may or may not finish? You don't know. Or C you have a lot of books that you po you could possibly read but you might not read. Okay, are you A, B, or C? You can see these answers here on the screen. Let me know what kind you are. And some of you, I know you're gonna say, I need like a D or an E because I'm somebody who reads a ton and, and I'll read every single page. Some people, I've heard from you, that you will go to the end and you will read the, the, the last page uh, of a book before you even read the beginning. I don't know. If you're one of those people, tell me why that you do that, but I've heard so many people say that. Um, I've heard people who will only commit to reading the first chapter of a book and if it doesn't captivate them, Boom, they're done. That's the end of that book. Uh, they will not do it. So I am somebody who fits squarely in the C category. I have a lot of books, more than I possibly could read. Um, and I would just say that I found out recently that there's a, a term, a Japanese term for this a condition. I'm going to call it a condition because that's a little bit of a confession. But there's a, a Japanese term for this called tsundoku, which means the art of buying books and never reading them. The art of buying books and never reading them. Some of you need to confess that you're with me on this one because I don't want to feel like I'm the only one. Uh, look at this picture that I got from Twitter that I saw and I was like, wait a second, this looks really familiar. This looks just like my office at home. And it says, leaving a book unread after buying it, typically piled up together with other unread books. I don't know why the piles make it seem like I might actually grab that book sometime. I don't really know why. <laughs> but here's the thing, I do read a lot of them, just not all of them. And the truth is, I will confess that I don't always make it to the end of a book and I feel bad about that and I constantly feel like I should be reading the end of books that I don't read. And so today we're going to finish this conversation conversation on uh, that we're calling the difference that Jesus makes and we're at the second to last book in the Bible, the second to last book in the New Testament as we've been going through the whole New Testament together and it's the book of Jude. Now what's interesting about Jude is that it's probably one that a lot of people don't read. It's a book that a lot of people don't read. Uh, maybe you are willing to admit that you maybe haven't read the book of Jude before, or if you have, it's only because we're reading through it, the New Testament, together. But in this stack of books that we call the Bible, uh, this is one of the books that often does not get read. And I think there's some example or some reasons why that happens, uh, why it's not read as much as others. There's kind of some obscure references that I'm going to mention today. Um, but I'm going to say this. I think that this book actually has a very deep purpose that's at the core that's so important to this question, what is the difference that Jesus makes? I think that Jude would say that if he were summing up everything in this letter, it's a pretty short letter, but if he kind of had a main point, I think it would be Jesus makes all the difference in every area of our life. Jesus makes all the difference in every area of our lives. That's what I think his main point is, and it's a pretty important one. So let's talk a little bit about this book, since it's a book that many people have not read. And then I want to take some time at the end for just some time of reflection around this question, what is the difference that Jesus makes? And so I invite you to grab a notebook or a journal or an app on your phone where you can take notes and just be ready for that in a few minutes because I want us together to just reflect on that question, what is the difference that Jesus makes? So Jude is also known as Judah. Uh, he, he's one of Jesus' brothers. And I think it's interesting, Jesus' brothers didn't follow him as disciples of his until after his death and resurrection. Judah and the other brothers' lives were changed by an encounter with the risen Jesus, and they all became leaders in the early church. 
they, they, we aren't really sure which um, church that Judah was writing this book to, but we do know a little bit about the people that he was writing it to. We know that they were probably, many of them were Messianic Jews or people who were Jewish and had also decided to follow Jesus, like Jesus' brothers. And we know that because Judah expects a pretty deep understanding of the Hebrew scriptures and the Hebrew stories. Deeper than most of us, I think, would admit that we really understand. And that's maybe another reason why we always don't resonate with the book of Jude. These references made to the Old Testament are not as familiar to us as they would have been to that first century audience that was filled with people who had experienced, uh, had experienced the Hebrew scriptures since they were little kids. And so in the third verse of this, of this short letter, uh, I, I think we see just something, kind of the purpose of why Jude is writing this. Okay, so let me start in, uh, actually I'll start in the second. So the second and third verse of Jude. Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled, okay, I felt eager, I felt compelled to write and urge you, listen to how strong this word, these words are, urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. There's some pretty strong language. He's, he's feeling pretty urgent here. Let me read the, the message translation by Eugene Peterson of those same two verses, two and three. Eugene puts it this way. Relax, everything's gonna be all right. Rest, everything's coming together. Open your hearts, love is on the way. Dear friends, I've dropped everything, right? That same strong language. I've dropped everything to write to you about this life of salvation that we have in common. I have to write insisting, begging that you fight with everything you have in you for this faith entrusted to us as a gift to guard and cherish. Okay, so both in the, the NIV version and the message version, we have contend for your faith and fight for your faith. Why is it a fight? Why is it a fight? Well, according to, to what's happening in the context here as Judah's writing, people are being influenced by folks who Judah calls ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. He does not mince words, does he? Ungodly people who pervert the grace of God. Jude goes on to explain that these folks are taking advantage of God's grace, saying it's permission for them to do just whatever they want. That's what he means by their perverting grace. They're, they're taking advantage of it. These folks are specifically engaging in damaging behaviors around money, around sex, around worship of idols. And, and so this is where in the letter, Jude starts to bring up these Old Testament stories or stories from the Torah or the Hebrew scriptures. And he's using these stories to help make his point about how toxic this is, what's happening to these people, how they're taking the name of Jesus and they're, they're perverting the gospel and the grace of Jesus. So he uses these stories that are not very familiar to us, maybe some of them from the Old Testament, but also from books that we would maybe now call the Apocrypha, extra biblical books that many of us are not familiar with at all. But it, even though they're not the same as the Bible, it doesn't mean they're not important. We'll talk about that just a little bit more in a minute. So you can see why this is a letter where we can get a little bit lost, right? You've got books that they're talking about that we don't really study because they're not a part of the, of the canon of scripture that we read today. We're making references that are relatively obscure. So let me just describe a couple of them to you so you kind of get an, a little bit of an idea of what's happening here. And I realize there's little, little ears listening in, so I'm going to try not to be too descriptive, okay? So Judah's talking about stories where people, humans, were trying to sleep with angels or take advantage of, of other people sexually. Uh, he brings up idol worship, the rejection of God in the book of Exodus. He talks about this cosmic war between the angel Michael and the devil and, and how they're having this debate. And Judah brings up that story to talk about how much God detests 
slander against another person. He's using these stories because they would have been really familiar to people when they might not be to most of us. And, and he's using all these stories to, to bring to the surface this point, that we need to build our life on the good news of Jesus, build our life on God's grace, and not take advantage of God's grace in that way. So that doesn't mean that people can do whatever they want. Because it makes us miserable, at least I know from my own life, it makes us miserable when we knowingly and consistently walk away from what God wants from us. It, it seems like it'd be good at, at some point, but it just makes us miserable in the end. And the truth is, is that God cares about our whole lives. God loves humans and cares about everything about our lives, our relationships, yes, our sex lives, our financial lives, our communication and how we communicate with each other and, and with God and, and what we say about and to other people. God cares about all of this. This is what Jude is trying to say. And the difference that Jesus makes is that our whole lives can be changed by the grace of God. And we're invited to respond to God's grace, not take advantage of it, as Judah's warning these people about, but to respond to God out of how incredible this grace is, to experience the love and the mercy that God has through God's grace and not take advantage of it. So I want you to watch this short clip from the Bible Project that explains just a little bit more about those Apocrypha books, those books that we're not used to. I, I love how the Bible Project explains this and makes it really understandable to us. Um, but also, I want you to listen. Listen for the main point that Judah's trying to make that they point out really well here at the end of this video. Check it out. So Judah then moves into his closing charge. He picks up his opening line about contending for the faith, and he unpacks how to do so with a cool set of metaphors. He describes the community of Jesus as God's new temple. And so they are to build their lives on the foundation of the most holy faith, which refers to the core message of good news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for our sins. On that foundation, the church is to build itself through a dedication to prayer, by devoting itself to the love of God through obedience. And the integrity of this building will be maintained by staying alert for the return of Jesus to bring his justice and his mercy. And in doing this, they will help each other stay faithful to Jesus. Judah then concludes by praising the God who will protect his people and keep them from falling too far from his grace. The short letter of Judah is powerful and puzzling for many modern readers who ask why he quotes from texts that aren't today considered part of the Hebrew Bible, like First Enoch or the Testament of Moses. It's important to remember that Jewish culture in this time was immersed in religious texts. Jesus, his family, all the early Jewish Christians grew up reading the Hebrew Bible along with many later books that were based on and inspired by the scriptures. And we know there were ancient debates about whether or not some of these later books should be viewed as scripture, but regardless, they're still important. A book doesn't have to be in the Bible to speak an important message to God's people. And so we have many Jewish texts from this period. They're known today as the collections of the Apocrypha, also called the Deuterocanon, along with the Pseudepigrapha. These were all preserved and read in Jewish and Christian communities. They were treated with great respect. It doesn't mean they were originally designed as part of the Hebrew Bible, but they are part of the biblical tradition. And so Judah, Knowing his readers that they would value words from First Enoch, he used them to communicate his message, which is this. 
God's grace through Jesus demands a whole life response, not just intellectual assent. Notice that Judah doesn't criticize or focus on the teacher's theology, but their immoral way of life, which denies Jesus. And so Judah is here applying what Jesus first told his disciples, if you really love me, then you will obey my teachings. For Christians, how you live is the most reliable indicator of what you actually believe. And that's what the letter of Jude is all about. Build your life on the good news of Jesus. Jude says in verse 20 and 21, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourself in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Keep yourselves in God's love. What does it look like for us to do that right now, to keep ourselves in God's love, grace, and mercy that God has for us? At the end of the video, there's that main point that I, I think they illustrate so well. God's grace demands a whole life response. God's grace is so amazing that it demands a response of our whole lives towards the things that Jesus is inviting us into. But here's what I see happen for so many of us when we're trying to follow Jesus' heart for us. We, we want to live into what God, God cares about for us. And when we think about those areas of life we mentioned earlier, I think that we can find some challenges when we think about our relationships, our sex lives, our financial lives, our communication with other people. And this is an illustration of what I think we face. It's like a road, like a country road that has two ditches, one on each side. And it's hard not to fall into one of these ditches. So let me show you what I mean. So on one side, we've got the ditch, do whatever I want. And the other side, I need to do everything right. All right. And, and, and so on one side, we're thinking, look, God's grace is amazing, right? So I can do whatever I want. I'm forgiven. And then over here, uh, you know what? Grace sounds awesome. But what really is important is that I do it right and not make mistakes and make sure I get it right all the time. These ditches are easy for us to fall into. But the goal is that we stay on the road. Maybe you've faced this in your life. I know when I think about it in my life, I've seen myself in both of these ditches. And guess what? They're both destructive in different ways, but they're both destructive for us in our lives. I think about slipping into both ditches at different seasons in my life. For instance, I could just beat myself up for days, feeling like I made a mistake, feeling like God was disappointed in me. Or I could be in the other ditch where I could just blame away things I was doing, saying, you yeah, know, this is fine, until it really does hurt somebody or hurt me. For instance, there's one area of life when I think back on, on the past that really sticks out to me where these ditches were very real. Growing up in the part of the church that I grew up in, there was what we now refer to looking back on it as purity culture. And purity culture was this very strong pressure for young people specifically to try to pursue some form of purity when it came to their sexuality. And in my opinion, that culture, as I'm calling it, pushed people into these two ditches a ton. It was almost unavoidable to end up in one of these ditches because it was so difficult uh, to be people who did something perfectly and be perfectly pure in this, this almost impossible vision that people were giving for you. And so there was this temptation to flip all the way to the other ditch and say, forget it. It doesn't even matter. I can't do it. Uh, I'm going to do what I want. But here's the reality is it was destructive, whatever ditch we ended up in. And the ramifications of these ditches lasted for years for people in their lives. And the truth is, is that God cares about our sex lives. I know, little ears, but I'll be careful. God cares, though. God cares about it. God cares about what we do with our bodies. But this idea of living up to perfection, this, some sort of perfection, was just totally impossible. 
the idea of treating this area of life, our sexuality, as way different than other areas, just obsessing over it, worshiping it, beating ourselves up over mistakes that we were making, yikes. What difference does Jesus make when it comes to this area of our life? Let's take it as an example. Let's talk about it for a minute. We're going to talk about sex on Sunday, Pastor Seth. Yeah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Jesus cares about us holistically, right? What's the difference that Jesus makes? Jesus cares about all of us, our mind, our body, our spirit, and wants to give us wisdom into how we live in our bodies as sexual people, as healthy sexual people. It's what God wants for us. The difference Jesus makes is that God can help us overcome the shame that comes from feeling like we didn't get it right or from other people telling you that you didn't get it right. Even though so many people have different opinions on sexuality and all the things that come with it, I mean, different opinions based on everyone here in this room. But shaming people is never okay. And the difference that Jesus makes is that Jesus can bring healing if we've experienced this in our life. I think one of the reasons that sexuality is talked about so much in scripture is because it's one of the main areas of life that the enemy heaps shame upon us in our lives. And the difference that Jesus makes is that we can have freedom from that shame. And it doesn't have to hold us back. And it's something that God wants for us to live into a healthy sexual person, which God made us to be. It's a good thing. But I look back on that time in my life and it was tough. The difference that Jesus makes is that God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances in any area of our life. Just like when a little kid is trying to figure something out in their life and learn something, they kind of stumble along the way, right? Well, we're God's kids. We stumble along the way. And Jude says at the very end of Jude that Jesus is the one who can keep us from stumbling through life. When we want to go on our own, we're going to stumble. But the difference that Jesus makes is that Jesus helps us up again to keep going when we stumble. And that could be applied to any area of life. And that's why God's grace demands a whole life response because the difference that Jesus makes impacts our whole life. The grace Jesus offers is so incredible that our whole lives can be built on it. That's the difference that Jesus makes. Like I said, I think if Jude were here, if he was going to sum up this letter, I think he would say, Jesus makes all the difference in every area of our life. Jesus makes all the difference in every area of our life. And so today, I want us to feel like we have an answer for the question, what does the difference Jesus make in different areas of your life look like? What does that mean? So grab your notebook, gra grab a piece of paper or a note-taking app or something like that. And I just want us to use the rest of our time to think through this. What is the difference that Jesus truly makes in different areas of your life? So I'm going to talk through some different areas. I'll leave a little bit of space so you can write down some thoughts. And, and if you feel like you're at a loss in an area of life and think, well, I don't know the difference that Jesus makes in this area, why don't you just write out a little prayer like, Jesus, show me the difference that you make in this area of my life. So just write at the top, what is the difference Jesus makes in this area of life? And then we'll go through some different ones. So we already covered sexuality. You can revisit that one if you want to. Okay, so let's go through a few different ones. What's the difference that Jesus makes in regards to our relationships with other people? Just write down what comes to mind. What's, what's the difference that Jesus makes in our relationships? couple things that came to mind when I was thinking about this is just how Jesus modeled loving our enemies and how, how there can be reconciliation and restoration even in the most broken relationship because of the power that there is in the name of Jesus. That the Holy Spirit can help us have patience uh, and all the other things we need to be in relationship with other people well. That's the difference that Jesus can make. What else might come to mind? How about in the area of 
how we use our time and our resources, all the different resources we have in life. What's the difference that Jesus makes in how you use your time and your resources? Think about that for a minute. Some things that came to mind when I thought about this was just this reality that all we have is God's. That what Jesus wants for us, as we often talk about, is, is generosity, to be generous with our time and our energy and our resources. It's what God wants for us, not from us, we're always saying. I think the difference that Jesus makes is that Jesus often multiplies the things that we might do to attempt to bless somebody else. We give a little bit and God does something huge with it. And that Jesus will lead us in stewarding well our time and our resources if we ask Jesus for leadership on that. I think that's the difference that Jesus can make. What else might come to mind in that area of your life? Let's talk about our emotional life. The, the emotional health, mental health, our feelings are, and things that we think and feel. What difference does Jesus make in our emotional life? Write down the first things that come to mind. I think the first thing that comes to mind for me is that Jesus cares about our emotions and that Jesus isn't anxious about our anxiety. Other humans often are, right? Anxious about the anxiety we have. But, but Jesus can handle that. The difference that Jesus makes is that even though anxiety and depression are very real and things that we experience in this life, we know that the future hope is that that's not the end of the story. The difference Jesus makes is that we can be given courage to step forward even when we're afraid the difference that Jesus can make in our emotional life. What's the difference that Jesus can make in our work or our education or our learning? What difference does Jesus make in our work life or our education life? Write down what comes to mind. When we think about the difference that Jesus makes, it's that God created us for work, even when it's hard. And Jesus can give us wisdom to discern the career path we're trying to figure out or, or to discern the tough decisions we make within our work life. And, and our work matters to Jesus. That's the difference that Jesus makes, that it's not just for a paycheck. It matters to God. What's the difference that Jesus makes in your parenting or mentoring of other people in your life? people who you know look up to you. What difference does Jesus make in that area of your life? Write down the first things that come to mind. I think just the, the reality that we can receive love from Jesus that overflows out of our life onto the people around us, our kids, those we might mentor or come alongside, and we need that overflow of love to be able to love them well. And also that God is the most ultimate parent to us, even if that's not true of our earthly parents sometimes or we don't have a relationship with them. That's the difference that Jesus makes. Let's do one more. The difference that Jesus makes in the political or public sphere of life. We've talked about this a little bit. What difference does Jesus make when it comes to how we engage with the, the, the world around us? Write down what comes to mind right away.
what always comes up for me right away is just how true it is that we can trust Jesus as king and as leader above all other leaders in our lives, but also that we can let Jesus lead us in how we participate in what God cares about when it comes to the public sphere. I talked about this a few weeks ago for a, for a while. Jesus can lead us and give us wisdom in this area. So I want to encourage you to take some more time with this. Maybe there's some other areas of life you want to think about. But as we finish this conversation, the difference that Jesus makes, it's so critical that we actually know deep in our souls what is the difference that Jesus makes. Because that's how we can stay in the love of God. And that's how we can fight for our faith. Jude talked to these folks that he was writing to about how they needed to fight for their faith and fight for this good news of Jesus in their life. And in a year like 2020, I think we can agree that faith is something that we have to fight for as well. We have to contend for the faith, as Jude is talking about it here. Hold tight to Jesus. Hold tight to this grace that God has for us because then we will know how to respond with all of who we are. Let me close with just reading the end of Judah's letter. He's got this doxology at the end, and so let me close with that reading to you. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore.